That's a good morning, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Praise Team. I know you put a lot of extra time and energy into that. And, uh, and so we are, we are thankful. Well, today is Resurrection Day. And as, uh, as Pastor Tim mentioned this morning, there's a saying that really goes back all the way to the early church. And this is the way that they, they would greet each other when they celebrate Resurrection Day. And one person would greet by saying, He is risen. And everyone would respond with, what an amazing thing. And so I love, I love that history there. And uh, so I grew up where that was just something that we did on, on uh, Resurrection Day. We greet each other Sunday mornings. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And uh, it's something that we have believed in since long before we were born, right? From the days of the early church. What, a, what an exciting thought. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, if we're honest, if you were to tell somebody, say, at work or maybe even some of your family members, that you believe that, that God sent his son who became a man, lived on earth, he claimed to be the son of God, he was crucified under Roman law, and that he rose again three days later, you might get a look something like this, right? Let's be honest, how many of you had that look from somebody when you told them that you believe? Jesus Christ actually was God's son, and he rose from the grave. you ever get this look? Am I the only one? No. Raise your hand. I want to see if you get that. All right, so there's a few of you. You get that look. People look at that and say, really? Uh, can, you, can you believe in that? Um, and I think there's, there's a resounding answer to that question. Yeah, can we really believe in that? Absolutely there is. See, last week, we talked about the, the uh, event that we call the triumphal entry. We celebrated Palm Sunday, named after the, the palms that were waved as Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. And everyone's shouting, Hosanna. And then we talked about how seven days later, what happened? They crucified him. In fact, the, even the words above him were a mockery, saying this man who claimed to be the king of the Jews. So one day, they're, they're calling him their king, and they're, they're calling for him to become their king. That's what Messiah means, the anointed one. The word Christ in, uh, is the Greek version of that. It, so he's anointed to be king. And so, so if you look at the history, you've got uh, the triumphal entry at the beginning of the week. And just in a, one short week, you go from there to the crucifixion. What an amazing difference in uh, the way people treated their king. They welcomed them as their political king, but they rejected him as their, as their priestly king. And why? Because Jesus failed to live up to their expectations. You know, when we talked about that last week, you know, it's not just the Jews in general. Even the men and the women who traveled with Jesus day in and day out, a lot of them, they just didn't get it at first. Actually, none of them got it at first. They didn't quite understand. Uh, and so they, you know, they wanted a, a political king who was going to, to reinforce their religious system. That's what what most of the Jews wanted. And in some sense, that's even what the disciples were expecting to some degree. They wanted freedom from Roman domination, right? They, they saw Jesus as the Messiah. What Christ offered was completely different. It wasn't what they were expecting, but as we saw in the videos, it was something much better. Amen? Amen. Jesus was offering to be the priestly king who would replace religion with a relationship with God. So no, no more religion where you're, you're, you're trying to earn your salvation, earn your way to God. No, no none of that. But God was offering a relationship with him through forgiveness, through repentance, through a sacrifice paid for by Jesus Christ himself. What an amazing thing that he was offering. So, so far we've covered 
this week, but I want to focus today on what happened immediately after that. Because this is the crux of human history. Dare I say, it's the crux of all history, what happens next in the story. And that's why today is the highlight of our calendar year, really. But I want you to think about it from the perspective of those who lived it. Can we do that today? Think about it from their perspective. And imagine if you were one of the ones that you're suffering under Roman persecution. You're, you're suffering under, uh, under the oppression that, uh, that these godless men and women had over you. And, and you wanted a king who was going to come in and take over. Start a rebellion that was going to pick up and, and like wildfire spread. And you guys were going to defend yourselves. And God was going to be on your side. Go back to the days of Joshua where God was defending his people with with thunderbolts and lightning and hailstones and miracles and this is it this, this is the, the Messiah we're going to win we're going to we're going to defeat the Romans that's where they were coming from I want you to think about it from their perspective on on Palm Sunday and then even those who did not reject Jesus Christ those who were still hoping that that's what he would be he gets to the end of the week and he's crucified. This is the man that you had your hopes in. You had your hopes that he would be the, the Messiah. And now your hopes have been completely dashed. Right? Well, that's where we come when we come to Luke chapter 24, verse, starting at verse 1. Luke 24, verse 1. You can follow along if you have your Bibles with And I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll jump around some other verses, but we'll camp in Luke 24. Verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Just to be clear, who's the they in this, in this verse? It says they and other women. So we know that the they are women, right? And actually, if we uh, look back just at the last couple of verses in uh, Luke 23... Verses 55 and 56, this is what we read. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So these are just the women. The Bible makes it very clear that the men weren't in a part of this process yet. It was just the women. And, uh, and so you've got the women who went, they observed the body of Christ, and then they, they saw how he was laid out, and they made their plans at that point to have fragrances and, and oils and things like that. Let me ask you a quick question. Were they expecting a resurrection? No. How do we know that? Well, it was very clear in, in, the, in the text. They went ahead of time. They went to the burial. They saw what needed to be done. What did they bring? They brought oils. They brought fragrant spices. Why did they do that? Well, that's a part of the process to during the natural decomposition of a body, it's not a pleasant thing. And so they, they did things to prolong that process a little bit and also to, to deal with smells and so on. That's why it's fragrant oils. Uh, they did that because they were fully expecting to find a dead Savior. They were going with their hopes dashed. This was not a positive experience for them at all. Right? And so even the ladies who had followed Christ, they had traveled with Christ, in some cases related to Christ, and they got there expecting to find a body. And that's 
that's where they're coming from. I want us to understand. Then it talks about certain other men, or certain other women, so we know that there were some other women that were with them. But that's what they were expecting. But look what happened. Verses 2 and 3 of Luke 24. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they go in. Everything that they thought they would find is not there. The stone's been rolled away, first of all. By the way, these are large stones, right? It takes a team of Romans to move the stones. So maybe part of the reason that God chose that as women is because most likely people would know that the women didn't move the stone. If you had a group of men, maybe they could have, right? I'm not trying to knock the women. You're, you're pretty strong, right? <laughs> but in general, you have, this was the mother of Jesus. And, and, and it was one, the, these ladies could not have rolled that stone away on their own. Is that safe to say? All right, at, at the risk of sounding sexist, because I'm not being sexist. Right? But the women could not have rolled the stone away. And, uh, and so the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. How do you think this made them feel? It says right in, the, in verse, verse 4, the first half of verse 4. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. So I'll finish the rest of verse 4 in a moment. They were perplexed. Right? Now, if it's perplexed, is that another verb form that means they believed? No, not yet. Perplexed might lead towards being a believer, right? But they were perplexed. But they, they didn't know what to think. You know, being perplexed is not necessarily a bad thing because it at least makes you curious, right? And if you see something and say, what in the world is that? I remember as a uh, camp counselor, I had never seen the Northern Lights because I grew up in, in, in the Detroit area where at night, on a clear night, you can look up and see the star. <laughs> right? The star. And... Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just a, a light in the parking lot of the church or something. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even see it. But as a counselor, I went up to Lake Ann and, and Traverse City area. And I, saw, I came out one night and I saw the room lights. It, I had never seen anything like I was perplexed. It was outside of my scope of reference of anything I had experienced before. It, it was a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. Anyone here ever see the Northern Lights with, with a clear sky? Of course, you're on the pretty side of the state here. And, and so, of course, you have what a, what, a, what a beautiful thing. It was outside. They were perplexed. They came and, and all of a sudden, what they expected wasn't what happened. And they're expecting to find a body. They brought all of the supplies and the body's gone. The stone is rolled away. Uh, that's where they're at. Um, now let's continue to read in verses 4 through 7. See what happens from there. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do we seek the living among the dead? See what they're implying there? You're looking for someone who isn't dead. You're looking for someone who is alive. Verse 6, He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified, and the third day rise again. Now, there's there's a lot to this message, but the basic message of what the angels were saying could be brought down to three words: He is risen, right? That's why we say it all every year: He is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, and so, uh, the question is: Should we believe that? I mean, should we believe these stories? Uh, but before we ask the question of whether or not we should believe, it, I want to ask: Should the women have believed? It? Let's look at the facts for a moment. Can we do that? Let's look at the facts. 
Um, so exhibit A, right? Exhibit A, we find uh, a missing body. Now, is that enough to believe? I mean, you, they go to the to the Stoneman Roadway, right? And there's a missing body. Is that enough information to prove that Jesus rose from the grave? No, it's evidence that would support it, because if he did rise from the grave, he would not be there. But it's hard to build an entire argument from absence, right? This is yes, right? You're with me, right? So put on your critical thinking. Like, like this is a court case, all right, for a few moments. And, and, and so, yeah, we've got this missing body. That, that would be exhibit A. And uh, maybe you could say the stone rolled away would be a separate exhibit. But, but part of the story is a little bit different. Exhibit B, what do we have uh, for exhibit B? We have uh, the message from the angels. But here's the thing. The angels, what was special about their appearance? Do you remember what we just read? Yeah, their garments were shiny. Now, if this were an event that happened in 2016, then I, there's a lot, of, a lot of explanations that can happen to this. But did they even have batteries in, around the year zero? No. So how do you get a garment to shine? Right? You can't. So here you have these two angels that just appeared out of nowhere. That in itself was kind of odd, right? And, and the, these angels appear, and they've got shining garments. Now I would start thinking that maybe what my heart is telling me is true could be true. Anyone else with me there? In fact, let's reread verses 6 and 7. It says, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Now, this is an interesting one. This exhibit C here is interesting. Verse 7 saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Wait a minute. Jesus said that? Jesus said that he was going to be crucified, and then they're surprised by the fact that he was crucified? And then Jesus said that he would rise again on the third day, and it's the third day, and they're perplexed? Right? So wait a minute. Did Jesus really say that? I mean, did he, did he really say that? Well, yeah, three times actually. If you go back to, uh, to, uh, to Luke, uh, we find that he, Jesus predicted it as well. He predicted it in detail. At the, uh, this is what we read in Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22. And he, Jesus, strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. He didn't want them telling everybody about all the great things he was doing. Why? saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Jesus is predicting this. This is going to happen to me, he's telling them. And be raised on the third day. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If you fast forward just a little bit forward uh, to, to chapter 13, and this is not as clear as he kind of hints at it, God says this, And that very day some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So Herod's after him. Herod's trying to kill him, and this is what Jesus said. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I shall be perfected. Kind of hinting at it, but you don't get any clearer than his third reference in Luke 18, just days before all of this happened. Then he took the twelve aside. Pulls him aside. You know, when Jesus pulls you aside, you know it's something important, right? So Jesus pulls the twelve aside, 
and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. So guys, remember, this is, this is an important event. This is what's happened. In, in, this is what, what has been predicted for years by the prophets. This, it's all going to happen. He reminds them what it is. Verse 32. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. I don't know about you, but if I was one of the disciples, I would have interpreted that to mean that he was going to be killed and crucified, and on the third day rise again. Because I'd like to think that's what I would believe, right? Uh, because Jesus could not have been any clearer. So when we look at it, uh, we find Jesus could not have been any clearer, but what happens, verse 34, but they understood none of these things. They didn't get it. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. They had all this evidence, but they still didn't get it. Why is that? Because I, honestly, before we point fingers at them, I think we have to admit that we're kind of like that too, right? And so, why is it? It's because the, this information was outside of their scope of understanding. This was outside their care of care then. Uh, and, and so even something super obvious could be right there in front of them. But if it's something outside of what you're used to, what your scope of reference is, then by nature, we as humans, we're skeptical and we don't believe it. Am I the only one like that? You know, I remember as a young child trying to talk to my brothers who were five and six years older than me, giving them arguments why I didn't believe in Santa Claus. Right? I'm a critical person by nature, so I'm not pointing fingers at them without pointing fingers at myself first. But they didn't get it. It was outside of their, their paradigm. And no matter how obvious it was, they didn't get it. Sometimes it's the obvious answer that we don't look for. My aunt used to tell a joke, you know, why do firemen wear red suspenders? And we think, why on earth? Just like, to keep their pants up. Right? You ever hear that one? <laughs> yeah, so it's something in the question focuses you, uh, focuses you on a different one. Another one she used to tell was, uh, um, what do you sit on, sleep on, and brush your teeth with? What do you sit on, sleep on, brush? And we'd rack our brains. And, all right, we, we, we give up, Millie, what's, what's, the, what's the answer? And she'd say, well, a chair, a bed, and a toothbrush. Right? <laughs> uh, we, you know, we would get the same groan that you guys just said, oh, you know? <laughs> right, because the answer's right there, right? But because it was outside of our scope, of, it wasn't what we were thinking. We were thinking in a different vein. This is what's going on here, too. Jesus is telling them things, and they're saying, well, this must be one of those crazy things that we just don't get yet that Jesus is talking about. Because in our scope of reference, Jesus isn't going to die. He isn't going to rise again. In our understanding of the way things are going to happen, Jesus is going to rise up, and he's going to start a revolution, and we're going to, to combat against the, the Romans, and we're going to win. See, their, their frame of reference, they were so stuck in their thinking that even when the obvious was right there and Jesus said it as plain as could be, right over their heads. Right? Right over their heads. And that's, that's the human nature. Uh, and honestly, I think we have to say as men, that's more our nature even more than the ladies' nature, isn't it? Sometimes we fail. Uh, we fail to pursue it. Because look what happens next. You know, you think after all this, maybe they would believe now. That's the big question. Do they believe now after all this? Even the predictions of Jesus Christ? 
Look what we read in verses 8 through 11. And they, the women, and they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. By the way, the eleven, we're talking about the twelve disciples, minus Judas at this point. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene. So they called her that because she was from Magdala. Uh, there was Joanna, later became a missionary, right? one of the first female missionaries. Mary, the mother of James. Interesting that they called her the mother of James, not of Jesus. And the other one with them. So once again, we find that the women, they believe. They're excited. And then it goes on, who told these things to the apostles. They came right to the apostles. And their words seemed like idle tales. And they did not believe them. Who believed first? Come on, come on ladies, you can own this. Right? The ladies did, right? And the ladies, they, they, they finally grasped. They, did it. they took the information that they, they had to see the missing, that there was a missing body. They had to see the shining garments. They, the, the stone was rolled away. And then when they remembered Jesus' words, they said, you know what? We already know that Jesus is trustworthy and we believe in him. That should be where we all are. Amen? But they believed it first. But how did the men respond? Like typical men sometimes, right? And their words, talk about the ladies' words, seem like idle tales. Did you know in the culture at that point, uh, a woman's testimony wasn't even considered uh, legal? It could not, you could not have the testimony of a woman. It, it would not stand in court because, because a woman's testimony was not considered a credible witness. By the way, that's culture. That's not Bible. Right? That was the culture. They didn't get it. And the men fell right. They fell right for it. Oh, we think that the ladies, they just, they, they must be confused. There's no way. Or like they said in the video, maybe, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Right? Something. But they did not yet believe that all this information is there, and they still did not believe. And that's when we come to one of the oddest stories. It seemed at first like it's totally out of place in the book of Luke. It seems like he just totally switches chapters, and, and, and you have a, an interesting story. And it's a story of the stranger on the road to Emmaus. But look at how Peter responded. Even though the, the women believed, the men did not. Peter did have that first step that I think is important. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Does marvel mean believe? No. But it's just a step in the right direction, isn't it? From being perplexed, curious, marveled, saying, this is amazing. I don't understand it. I am marveled by what's going on. And, and so he wasn't at the, that point of faith yet, but he scratched his head. And this is where we find the story of the stranger on the road to Emmaus. Um, so we've got uh, four things right now. The missing body, we have a message from the angels, we have Jesus' own predictions, and now we see Jesus' burial clothes. And they're just laying there as they had been. And, and so Jesus had been buried wrapped. And all of a sudden, there's the burial clothes. By the way, if, if you were inside the burial clothes and you unwrap it, what are you going to find? You're going to find an unraveled mess of linen, right? But if you have someone who was inside and then all of a sudden is not inside, it's going to just fall flat. That's what it says here, right? He found them just as they were laid out. So that's, that's an, 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 another evidence that we find uh, to, to what was going on here. Then we find this story. Now, behold, two of them, doesn't even tell us who yet, 
until we run the story. Two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. As you can imagine, they're marveling. What in the world is going on? Uh, and, and, and just too afraid to admit that there's a little bit of spark of hope there, right? As these guys are talking, verse 15, so it was, while they conversed in reason, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus started walking with these guys. Verse 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So here, they're walking with Jesus, and they're talking about Jesus. They're talking to Jesus. They have no idea that Jesus is with them. Right? Their eyes are restrained. So you've got to picture that in, in your mind, how this is, how this is going down. Um, they're talking with, with, with Jesus, but yet Jesus, in whatever way that he, that he made it uh, work out, he made sure their eyes were restrained so they didn't know who he was. Why do you think Jesus did that? Why didn't he just, hey guys, it's me. You want proof? Here I am. Right? Now, you hear stories of people who have died and maybe come back 15, 30 seconds later. You hear stories about that stuff all the time. Jesus died and was gone for three days. Right? That's a big deal. So just presenting his body would have been proof. Right? Uh, but instead, he goes with them, and he does it in such a way they don't, they don't have a clue who they're talking to. He, he, Jesus purposely restrains their eyes. I believe that he did that because this is the perfect metaphor for physically for what was going on spiritually. They were blinded to the fact of the truth. The truth was right there before them the whole time, and we, we just they can't cross over into belief, right? So Jesus walks with them. He talks with them. We'll just continue to read uh, in verses 17 through 21, first chapter 21. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? They're walking, they're sad. By the way, the sadness shows, did they believe yet? No. Because the sadness comes because they didn't believe yet. Verse 18. Then the one uh, whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? I mean, what planet are you from? That's, that's my translation. You have, don't you know what's been going on? I mean, we went from a week where it was the, the largest celebration to the crucifixion. And then when Jesus was crucified, some amazing things happened, right? I mean, you've got, you've got the darkness of the sky in the middle of the day. You've got... Uh, you've got the, the, the curtain in the temple being ripped from top to bottom. You've got all sorts of weird things going on. And don't you, where have you been for the last seven days? That's what, he, what he's saying. Where have you been? And we continue on verse 19. And he said to them, what things? Notice Jesus didn't lie. He just asked them. <laughs> what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Let me just stop there for a moment. Uh, this shows where the problem is. If you go all the way back to what we studied last week, the triumphal entry, they're all shouting, Hosanna. They're all excited for the king. Then people say, who is this that we're all cheering for? What was the answer? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet. Is Jesus the prophet? Yes. I mean, he can predict the future. But 
Is that all Jesus is? No. They grasped the part of it, but they didn't grasp the entire thing. And hear that. These are his disciples. Even after Jesus has resurrected, Jesus is talking with them. And they're still calling Jesus the prophet from Nazareth. They reduced him. I'll tell you what. The world is going to try and reduce Jesus to something else. Anything the world can do to convince you not to believe in Jesus as the resurrected Savior who paid for your sins, they're going to try and do it, right? A lot of denominations even that will call him a good person, a great teacher. God? No. God become man to pay for your sins? No. Resurrected Savior? Boy, it didn't, it didn't take long before people started preaching against the resurrection. That's why Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, says your faith is vain if you don't believe in the resurrection. This is the crux of the story. And so this is what we find in verse 19. Uh, let's continue in verse, uh, verse 20. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified and crucified him. So they're talking to Jesus. This is what happened. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, they... Our hopes are dashed. That's why we're sad. We had an expectation. Now, these aren't the scribes and the Pharisees anymore. These are Christ's disciples. We had an expectation, an expectation that was going to redeem Israel. Again, they limited him. Jesus didn't come just to redeem Israel, did he? Jesus came to redeem who? To redeem who? All of us. Right? And so this is what's, uh, what we find going on. Jesus actually offered, what he offered did not fit their presuppositions. It was outside of their scope. It was very difficult for them to believe. And so how did they respond? You know, you've got the missing body, right? They all recognize that. You have the message from the angels. You have Jesus' own predictions. You have the burial cloths right back where they, they were when Jesus was. And then Jesus' own miracles. Remember what they said? This was Jesus of Nazareth who was mighty in their deeds and their mighty in deeds and word. We walked with Jesus. We saw what Jesus did. We saw Jesus perform miracles. Remember Lazarus? Jesus raised the dead. So you've got a Jesus, not just a Jesus who predicts in his own death and resurrection, but this is a Jesus who has been able to conquer death already. A Jesus who can heal anybody, right? He can feed 5,000 people plus their families with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, five loaves and two fish. And they were there. And notice what they said, too. They said that he did it in front of everybody. This man who was mighty in, in deeds, uh, if you, and if you look at verse 20 um, and verse, uh, verse 19, so, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Hey, this is stuff everybody knows. We've all seen it, the stuff that he's done. Is that enough to believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Yeah, I believe it is. And the evidence was, was stacked uh, against their presuppositions. And look how Jesus responded. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. So something's not right here. And they astonished us with this news. Verse 23, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So they knew all of this information. And, and 
certain of those who were with us, remember Peter, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. The body is still gone. So they're explaining all this to Jesus, as if Jesus didn't know, right? <laughs> he knew the answer, of course. Here's how he responded. Then he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Guys, it's too much. You, you're fools right now. Why? Were they slow of mind? No, that wasn't the problem. Well, it's not an intellectual problem. Where were they slow? In their hearts. They were slow in their hearts. They just couldn't cross over into that believing in their heart, saying, I know that this is true. Right? I know that this is true. Continue on in verse 26. Ought not the Christ, this is still Jesus talking, ought not the Christ uh, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I wish I had a recording of that conversation. As Jesus is walking along the road, and it says he take, took them through Moses and the prophets. Moses being Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? That, those are the books of Moses. Prophets being from Joshua all the way to Malachi, right? Uh, are, are the prophets, and then in our English Bibles, we have it, uh, we intersperse some of the writings uh, in, in the prophets and the books of prophecy. So he said, all through the Old Testament, everything points to Jesus Christ. So everything that concerned him, he explained to them. I think about that. That means all the way back to Genesis. Remember in the curse? Remember when, when the serpent had convinced Adam and Eve to partake of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And you have this curse to the serpent, which we now know as Satan. And the curse said this. So the Lord, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and uh, more than, than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You get this image that there's going to be a seed of a woman who, by the way, there's two different words for bruise. One is, is to crush, you're bruised from crushing. It's, the, it's a term used for fatal injuries. And then you have the word bruise, his heel, which is the word for an injury. It's just a typical injury that heals. And so you've got, you've got this image of the serpent having its head crushed. And someone having their heel bruised. So you get the image of boom. Right? Which is, which, which kills me to get it in the head. Unfortunately, I know that. <laughs> boom. Heels bruised. But not fatally. Right? Not permanently. That's, that serpent is fatally wounded. Right? Well, who's this talking about? The seed of a woman. Right? Who's the only person in human history who only had a biological mom but didn't have a biological dad? Jesus, right? He's the seed of him. And so Jesus is going through, and he takes them all the way from Genesis and starts walking through. Uh, he, I'm sure he talked about Cain and Abel. What did we learn from Cain and Abel? There are two different kinds of sacrifices. One, they tried to sacrifice fruits. No good. The other one, sacrificed blood, right? Sacrificed animals. And that was the one that was accepted. What does that teach us? That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Isn't that what Hebrews 9 tells us as it recaps uh, the, the books of the law? 
And we learn that, that really because of sin, there has to be a blood sacrifice. There has to be life for life. And what we find is God is unrolling this story all throughout history, all pointing to one event, right? And that's what, what, what's going on. And, and, and here, we fast forward to Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham was supposed to offer his son Isaac. But at the last minute, what happens? There's a ram in a thicket, and God says, use that. And so God begins as he's unrolling the story. Guess what? Yes, it takes a life, but there can be a substitution. We begin to understand this concept of substitutionary payment for our sin. And, and then we have the Passover. If you, if you fast forward to Exodus 12, and uh, they had to put the blood on the, this is during the last plague, on, on the doorposts of their, of their home. But now there's another element added. So you have this idea of substitutionary sacrifice because they had to sacrifice a lamb to do that. It had to be a lamb without blemish. So you know that it had to be a perfect sacrifice. But this time, only those who put the blood on there were going to have their homes passed over, thus the name Passover, and they would survive the last plague. So now it adds element of trust. See how God is unrolling his story all throughout history, but he's pointing to one thing. Uh, all through the rest of the, the books of the law, we have the tabernacle, right? After they sinned against God and, and worshipped the golden calf, he provided the means. And at, at the golden tabernacle, one of the, or at the tabernacle, one of the things they had to do was, was sacrifice a lamb. 